Hey, Mark Dunnigan. Bella has been joined the outside life, yes? Because usually this is indoor kitty all 14 years of her life. She just had her 14th birthday. Indoor kitty. But now? We have a lanai, which is a screened-in yes. large area. So it's and safe. And so she can get out there and sit in the sun and poke around and smell things and come in and out. Right. And so there's these little lizards. I think they're pronounced anoli. That sounds like a pasta. I'm probably not saying that right. I've been kind of interested to see how she's going to respond to them. And today, there was one inside. Her nose was within like six inches of it, and she doesn't even see it. Well, you know, uh, Bella's a philosopher. You know, she sits and ponders deep thoughts. Okay. So, not only that, but Bella has great cat food, wellness cat food. She's got Costco chicken. She gets yogurt in the morning from my yogurt. What else does she, she gets like all sorts of well, different Well, I wasn't thinking she was like, oh good, finally I have something to eat. But I was kind of hoping that it would catch her eye and that she would think, oh, isn't this a fun thing? I don't think she even noticed it. Thank well, heaven she, we don't depend on her. She realizes it's a lizard. It's, it's beneath her. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. As a philosopher. She's, well, she's far, she's far more interested in mom and dad and the world of people okay. than the world of lizards. Oh, okay. Well, I thought there'd be something innate there. I'm just I'm just thankful we're not counting on her to keep us safe from vermin. Because, or do all the hunting for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to scripture hike through First Thessalonians. So what can you tell us about this book background wise, Mark? All right. One basic outline would be that chapters one through three are looking back and chapters four through five are looking forward. That's a neat way to outline the book. That is looking back to kind of the conversion of the Thessalonians and Paul having to leave because of persecution and being absent. And then Timothy and Silas showing up with good news about how the church is doing and then now looking forward. So is this one of the older epistles? Yeah, I believe so, because I think by the time he hits Corinth, where the letter's written, and we learn that from the fact that the letter is Paul, Silas, Timothy to the Thessalonians, and then Acts chapter 18 and verse 5 tells us that when Paul's in Corinth, Silas and Timothy show up from Macedonia, and that's the Roman province where the city of Thessalonica is located. And so we know it's written from Corinth, and we know Paul's in Corinth, because there's that interaction between him and the proconsul, and we have actually found an inscription that dates the proconsul Gallio being in Corinth like around 50, 51 AD. So we know pretty, pretty close like, okay, Acts 18 is like early 50s, 51, 50, 51. And so probably Paul maybe is in Thessalonica like maybe 49. Okay. All right, so my translation is saying Sylvanus, and you kept saying Silas. Yes, one and the same person. Oh, okay, cool. So, first verse says, To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I was wondering, Mark, if you could go into what it means to have this status of being in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's certainly something that we would the kind of relationship that we would want to have. What does that mean in? Yeah. Well, first of all, Silas joins like when the second missionary journey starts, Silas is on board with Paul, Acts 15, 22. Okay. And and so he kind of joins that journey in verse 40. And then Timothy joins like Acts 16, 1 through 3. So by the time we get to Thessalonica, chapter 17, verse 1, 
all those three guys are together. Okay, so Timothy, I know, is Paul calls him like my son in the Lord or something like that. Yes. Very close relationship. Mm-hmm. Do we know anything about the relationship between Paul and Sylvanus? He's a good man, mm-hmm. faithful Christian. As to your question, a couple things is that you can't separate a relationship with the Father from mm-hmm. a relationship with the Son. You can't say, mm-hmm. well, I have a relationship with God, but not a relationship with Jesus because mm-hmm. they're like they're all the same. And so the church of the Thessalonians is the body of people who have a favorable relationship with the Father and the Son in the city of Thessalonica. Mm-hmm. People have been called out of darkness by the gospel. And among a number of things is that obviously these people have heard the gospel, believed that, repented, confessed, and they've been baptized. But when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. Mm, Romans 6.3. Romans 6, 3 through 5, and also Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27 would, uh, would have that language as well. So it's really neat here that uh, Holy Spirit places Jesus and the Father side by side. That is that they are, they're co-equals. Uh, they're both divine. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking about 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen that concurs and further explains that once we are in Christ, God himself transfers us from the power of darkness into his body, which is also called his kingdom, right? Established and, yeah. in the first century. And his church. Yeah. yeah. That came into that came with power in Acts two, one through four, just like Jesus had promised those who were alive on earth when they were listening to him preach. He was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste a death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Mark nine one. So that's who Paul is writing to, right? These men are uh, collectively writing to is this church that was established in the first century. Yeah, and this one is a local congregation that happens to be in the Macedonian province, and the specific city is Thessalonica. Yes, thanks Which for still clarifying. exists today. That city still oh, exists it does? to this day. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Just like Athens. The next verse says, well, we have grace and peace, which is really kind of two really neat concepts. The, the kindness, the favor of God, you might say the idea of abundant spiritual blessings. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 talks about that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Mm-hmm. So you cannot get more spiritual blessings than that. Yes, grace and peace as well as productivity to his glory are all found in God's church, which is also called the body, which is also called the kingdom of God. One other point I probably should have said before we got into grace to you and peace is that I find it very interesting that the word all, the way the word all is used in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where it says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit, unquote. So ask not if you can be in a relationship with God without the commitments to the community of God's children, right? Because some, some people are wanting that. They are one and the same. He adds you to the kingdom, and all of them were baptized into that body of Christ. Now, peace is not so much just an absence of trouble because Jesus said, you know, you're going to be persecuted. So peace is not like just like the absence of problems, but it would be like you have harmony you have a right relationship with God. You have a right relationship with the creator of the universe. And you have a good relationship between yourself and other Christians. The world's always going to be in a fight. But 
in him you actually have have peace yeah it's a peace that passes understanding that has been my experience now yes you're still going to have every emotion that you had before you became a child of God. But you are able to keep your head when you see the world falling apart emotionally. And, you know, just right now, there is an epidemic of mental health challenges. And it's times like these where the peace of God really does pass all understanding that we're able to know that, hey, even in worst case scenarios, Nothing can happen to me apart from the grace of God. And I have access to prayer and I can pray, God, remove this fierce anxiety from my heart. You said you would, you know, you said if I laid my burdens at your feet that you would be with me and give me a clearer perspective so we can really tap into that peace. Then he says, we give thanks to God always for you. He's going to be the same writer in chapter five, verse 18 who's going to talk about pray without ceasing and like be grateful, be grateful for it. So he's like practicing what he preaches later there in the letter. We are just constantly thankful. Mm-hmm. And I think, and it's not the universe, Mark. He's, he doesn't say we give things to the universe. True. <laughs> you know, and, so as not to be guilty of worshiping the creation rather than the creator, Romans one twenty five. One of, I mean, one of the great themes of this letter is Paul's joy in knowing that here we have a congregation that basically is established and they get immediate persecution from the community. And Paul has to leave town. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. people that from that community even show up further and try to cause trouble down the road. But they're still faithful. They're still living the Christian life. They're not giving up. They're being harassed, but they're growing and they're maturing and they're thriving as believers. And that's something to be thankful about. Not the entire city of Thessalonica ever converted, but Paul was thankful for the people that did, and they are precious to him. And so they are the constant subject of his prayers. Along with that is the next phrase, constantly bearing in mind or constantly remembering the following aspects of these of, of the lives of mm-hmm. these individuals. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be the following phrases. It's going to be work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Okay. Those three phrases. Yeah. So I guess just kind of take a look at each one of them. Work of faith, to me... Th- immediately I think about, well, that's an energetic faith. Mm -hmm. That's an active faith or the work that faith accomplishes. People often have conversations where they're opposing work and faith. And this is the work of faith. And we know that James 2.17 says, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. So faith itself is a work. Isn't that interesting? Yes. In fact, People ask Jesus, what did they do to the works of God? And Jesus said, well, you believe that, that that's like the work of God. Mm-hmm. You believe on him who he has sent. Yeah, the religious community is really confused about this whole thing of faith and works. There obviously are works or deeds that we need to stay away from, like deeds of the flesh and kind of making up our own rules. Clearly, those are things that we need to stay away from. And we no longer follow the works in the law of Moses. That is animal sacrifice, and mm-hmm. worshiping at the temple and the tabernacle and all of that. Okay, But faith throughout the Old and New Testament, the faith that saves, is always an active mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. There, how many times in the book of Acts is the gospel preached and the audience says something like, what should we do? Mm. And the yes. response is never, nothing. Right. And even love is a labor. (laughs) Labor of love. 
and all labor has to be of love, right? For only when motivated by love does our labor move from just be us being a noisy gong or clanging cymbal to bearing beautiful fruit to God's glory. Yeah, and, and the word labor here means painful exertion. It, oh. it means toil that's fati- fatiguing, intense labor. So it would be like your unwearied love or okay. toil prompted by your love, your loving service, even when it, I mean, stuff that you do that just wears you out mm-hmm. where there's no gas in the tank left, but you do it voluntarily. You, you do yeah. it because you want to do it. So as you noted, true love will work and it will work tirelessly and true love will sacrifice and place the needs of others ahead of its own. In fact, this is the type of love that Jesus demonstrated. Uh-huh. This is the type of love that the Father has demonstrated towards us. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the next one? Patience of hope. Thoughts on that one? Well, mine translation says, and steadfastness of hope. Mm-hmm. So I was just thinking how hope that is steadfast despite increasing awareness of the darkness surrounding us is nothing short of, to me, almost supernatural <laughs> that you can... You know, have this steadfastness despite all of this, everything coming out, people, 24-7. And I don't even watch TV or listen to anything out of, coming out of the pop culture. And So this would be, as you noted, this is very meaningful today because, I mean, they were surrounded by a lot of darkness. They were surrounded by a mm-hmm. lot of uh, pushback from the community. So they had, they had a lot of enemies in the town in which they lived. I like the idea here, though, that too many times we think as patience is resignation. Well, I can't do anything about it. And it's not, this is not some sort of passive endurance. This is something optimistic, something very strong, something very powerful. And that the hope that a Christian has is confident expectation. Mm -hmm. It's not some sort of unfounded optimism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is rooted in reality. Definitely. And Colossians 3.2 says that... We are to fix our affections on things above, looking beyond the present darkness toward the eternity where in his right hand are pleasures forever, Psalms 16:11. So I think that's the key to st- keeping your hope is having your affection fixed on things above. And as the rest of this verse goes on to say, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So just another reminder to fix your eyes on Jesus, right? Hebrews 12, 2. Mm-hmm. Right. That's where the hope is rooted. That's why it's, well, that's why it's confident expectation. That's mm-hmm. why there's a certainty about it. It's not a cross your fingers sort of thing. It's rooted in Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. He is at the right hand of the Father. Mm-hmm. And the writer actually saw him oh, in yes. chapter 9. So. Uh, yeah, that's a neat way that that ends in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the presence of God, uh, our God and Father. And obviously, we will be in His presence at the last day. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense that we're in His presence now that we live continually, live continually aware of that He rules this world. Mm-hmm. These Christians did not fear or dread the return of Jesus. They didn't view it as something that would interrupt their plans or pose an inconvenience. They eagerly look forward to their redemption. Mm-hmm. And for the Christian, the second coming is also vindication. Mm, right. You were on the right side. Yeah. And everything that the opposition said was false. All right. So in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, 
I love that. Yeah, brothers whom that. love God. Uh, yeah, brothers whom God loves. Yes, beloved by God. I mean, that if that's not a T-shirt to wear around mm-hmm. <laughs> with joy, I don't know what is. But First John four nineteen says we love because He first loved us. So our relationship with God then is our loving Him back and giving Him the love as best we can that He deserves from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Mm-hmm. And be careful there that we don't go sideways because God's choice of us is not some choice made before the world was created, some arbitrary choice, no matter how we would live mm-hmm. or what we would do. Okay. Mm-hmm. The second letter, chapter 2, verse 14, the second letter to the Thessalonians is going to say that he called you through our gospel. Mm. And everyone gets that call, Mark 16, 15. And so the people who obey the call and choose God become those that God considers his own. Yeah. Yes, he chooses them. I think one other verse that gives me good clarification on this is 2 Timothy 2, 21. When I'm asking, like, how does one become selected to bear the image of God's son? You know, here's the answer. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So, yes, when we choose God, he chooses us. That's a great verse because that's that's one of those verses that indicates that, you know, I mean, God wants everyone to be a vessel for honor, but we make the final choice of what sort of vessel we become. I guess the other thing, Mark, I want to throw in here before we move on is that the other thing that causes me to come to a different conclusion than than what many, I guess, Calvinists, would that be Mm -hmm. correct, would come to in terms of, you know, many people believe that our just God, our God who is love, created a big majority of people in order to have them become vessels of destruction where he knows even before he creates them that he will send them to hell eternally with them never having any hope. Mark, this is not the God I know. God is a just God and everyone gets the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Yes, absolutely. No human would even do that. Yeah, there's a number of things that are really wrong with Calvinism. And, And one would be that it pictures this God as simply arbitrary and plain favorites. Verse 5, so we're talking now about the arrival of the gospel in Thessalonica, kind of going back to when it showed up. Okay. So the verse says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Mm. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Okay. So it's, it's called our gospel, not because Paul invented it, but rather he preached it. He believed it. He identified with it. He identified with it 100%. That's my gospel too. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think this might be controversial, and you can ask me to take it out if you want, but if Paul can say our gospel, even though this is God's good news at its beginnings, it seems to me that... It's not wrong to say my church. The church belongs to Christ, yes, just like the gospel belongs to Christ, but that is your church family, Mm -hmm. and it's okay for you to say my church. Yeah. One writer said our gospel directs attention rather to the fact that the preachers had made it their own, Uh, that they had uh completely bought in to it. And, of course, Paul will also speak of it as being God's gospel 
too. Yeah. So my question was like, why? Why this full conviction? Many other signs, John 20, 30 through 31 says, Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the evidence that God put forth there in the first century among the disciples, those very, very much led to their full conviction that we read about here. Yeah, that's a neat statement, full conviction. And I like how he'll say, you know, it wasn't just word only. And I think what it, what he means by that is that the gospel did not have an impact upon them simply because it was presented kind of so well with just this amazing, eloquent presentation. Okay. In fact, he will tell the Corinthians that basically it was Christ crucified. That was just the center of the message. Mm -hmm. And it was God's message. And the words actually are the words that God chose. And so God actually chose very simple words to convey the gospel because he wants people's faith grounded not in an eloquent speaker, yeah, but in the message itself. Right. And also they're a good example, right? Isn't that what he's talking about when he says, just as you know, what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So their own personal behavior also showed that they were from God. And it's just very reminiscent of Matthew seven twenty that reminds us, you will know them by their fruits. So there are some clues sometimes, you know? Yeah. And added to that, that's a great point because added to that would be the thought that the gospel shows up and not only do they preach the truth, but yep. they're living the truth. Right. Their lives are consistent with the message. And that that's a big advertising point mm-hmm. for the gospel is when you have walking, living human demonstrations that it works. Yeah. And Paul was one example of that, of how it had changed him. Yeah. So drastically. Talk about bringing forth fruit in keeping with repentance. I mean, Paul was very, very fruitful. And those fruits of the Spirit, I mean, those preach a sermon too. That is often what catches people's eye in your own life as you're demonstrating Christ, Mm -hmm. is those fruits of the Spirit that are so in contrast to this world's darkness. And Paul here says that it, it showed up in power, which may be a reference to, you know, Early on, as the preachers preached it, there would be miracles that would accompany that, kind of like signs that the speaker was from God. But Romans 1.16 equally says that the message itself is an incredible, powerful, oh, yeah. and convicting message. Definitely. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. The actual words, the message itself, is a message, well, delivered under guidance mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's a Holy Spirit-inspired message. Mm-hmm. Yep. Proven often by the signs that were given, John 3, 2, that they were sent by God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So that was very convicting. But yeah, Paul's life, can you imagine the before and after of Saul of Tarsus versus Paul the apostle? And what kind of powerful thing came mm-hmm. over this guy that he's a whole new man in almost every way? You make a great point there. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus, it doesn't make any sense if Jesus never appeared to him. It's one of those proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead, because apart from that, you really cannot explain the conversion of Saul of Tarsus Mm -hmm. that quickly. Mm -hmm. And that he's actually preaching the message so quickly afterwards and being very knowledgeable about it. 
Yeah. So verse six says something that we hope of everyone that we share the gospel with. This is a dream, isn't it? You also became imitators of us and of the Lord. So yeah, that aspect of being coming an imitator of the Lord, we want that for everyone that we share the gospel with. Yeah, so I guess uh, one way that we could look at these two passages is, here's how the gospel showed up to you. Here's how it was mm-hmm. presented. And, you know, it was powerful. It was convicting. Um, it was a Holy Spirit-inspired message. And we were living it in our lives. And this first would be how they responded to it. Mm-hmm. So the Thessalonians they're not like mere talkers. We imitate the life of Paul, which imitates the life of mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and also God's not demanding the impossible. Here would be one more example of mere mortals mm-hmm. from a sinful background, from a very pagan background, mm-hmm. who like immediately change their lives and start living godly, sanctified lives. Yeah, so, so beautiful. Romans 13, 14 talks about clothing ourselves with Christ, and that that is beautiful. Like when you are living out the righteous deeds of Christ, Revelation 19, 8. Mm-hmm. Then he talks about that they received the word in much affliction, or what we would say with persecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they welcome the message in spite of, well, all the persecutions it brought to them. Yeah. The gospel doesn't need ideal circumstances in which to flourish, just mm-hmm. just like a good and an honest mm-hmm. heart. Th- there is a certain sense that obviously the gospel made these people's lives better and richer, but at the same time it also brought external hardship. Yeah. upon them. Yeah. I think we saw this on a smaller scale during COVID where there were certain people that the tribulation of COVID caused them to be like, that's about the last, that was the last straw. They were on their way out anyway. They, you know, weak people Mm -hmm. became even more weak and left God. There were other people that were tenacious and clung to God through everything. And, you know, they got even more into, okay, what can I do with this tribulation to draw near to God. It's it's just so interesting. You and I talk about this quite often, Mark, how it's within our nature to value most what we have fought for the most. And so these Thessalonians, they had fought for their Christianity, right? Just through this tribulation to have that deep commitment so early in their Christian life. Well, a number of the most faithful Christians that we know are not the people that had easy lives and not the people that Mm -hmm. everyone just was so pleasant around them, but the people that really had to to fight their way, fight their way to the truth. And that there were constant obstacles in their way. (laughs) If you want an an example of what Mark's describing, go to nomadsyouandi.com. And look under the story that I tell of a man whose name is Yoda, but Mm -hmm. it's spelled I-O-T-A. And he is the preacher at... The Monterey Shores Church of Christ in Palm Palm Desert. Palm Desert. Yeah, what a story. So, but then it says, in spite of all this persecution, there's joy of the Holy Spirit, joy produced, among other things, by the message that the Spirit has told them, God loves you. Jesus died for you, you've got a home in heaven, and here's how you handle all these very difficult circumstances. So Mm -hmm. they kind of have this joy that no sort of earthly trial can extinguish. Yes. 
So reminiscent of James 1, 2 through 4, where it says, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That mark, that attitude is going to need divine intervention. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that you'd be able to have joy of the Holy Spirit during times of tribulation, Pray for God's help in this. And of course, this is not to say, I mean, even Jesus, who was perfect, felt the tribulation of anticipating the cross, and he wept as tears and sweat as blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're not talking about God giving us the ability to never feel any more negative emotions, right? Well, clearly here, the joy of the Holy Spirit doesn't eliminate any sort of negative emotion because like in first corinthians paul worried about all the churches in second Corinthians chapter 11 and he writes to the galatians and he has tears he has tears he's he's worried that he's going to lose these people so overall there is a definite joy in the christian life Mm -hmm. but there are going to be individual pockets of sorrow And you're going to be sorrowing about different things. And you're going to worry about different things. Yeah, your anxieties will be over things that are of an eternal nature. But overall, Christ is speaking truth as always when he says, my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you because wow, I am so grateful for the tears I do not need to shed that are on things that are either irrelevant or much, much less relevant than the things that really break our own hearts. Good observation. Kind of like the the area of your sorrow becomes more focused and narrower over matters of eternal value, mm-hmm. and your joy becomes broader yeah. and, and deeper. And it is something the world cannot take away from you because it's not tied to material, earthly things. Yeah. What if we only grieved over what God grieves over? What if we only were disgusted by the things that disgust God? You know, whatever the negative emotion is, it needs to be in parallel with the things that are felt by our father in heaven. Well, then he says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia, which would include the cities of Philippi and Berea and Achaia. And of course, that's what include Athens in Corinth. And at that oh, time, okay. Greece was divided up into those two Roman provinces. Okay. Yeah. So we never know who's watching, right? Well, someone always is watching. Yeah. Yes. And maybe inspired by our, our example. Well, more people are watching than we realize. The devil, I think, tries to convince us nobody's watching. Right. Just It's an inspiration to live so as to bring out the best in other people. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you like a trumpet. Okay. That's cool. Uh Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith towards God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Now, verse 9 is going to get into some of the details, but I think it's the idea of the church in Thessalonica is not that old. All right. And like this letter's, I don't know if this letter's even, if it takes even a year to get it back. I mean, the church is founded and... Paul has to leave, and, mm. and Timothy and Silas show up, and so a letter a letter goes back to the Thessalonians. I mean, in a, an incredible short amount mm. of time, mm-hmm. the faith of these Christians is known throughout the whole wow. realm of Greece and beyond. 
so that, I don't know, maybe even Christians in Rome or Ephesus are like, hey, have you heard about the great church in Thessalonica? Word was traveling incredibly fast. It's, It's almost like Paul is saying, we really don't have to say anything that before we even show up, people know about you guys. <laughs> we Love don't have it. to inform anybody about you guys. Mm-hmm. The message has already got there before we show up. I love that. Mark, and it reminds me, what is a verse? You, you're you like my walking concordance. Thank you for doing that for 43 years. So here you go. Spot, spot quiz, pop mm. quiz. Um, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asked yeah, you. Yeah, 1 Peter 3.15. See, isn't that, that's the magic right there. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I passed that one. Okay, a little bit of sweat coming off yes, your brow there off a little the bit. <laughs> no, but yeah, be ready to give that answer to those who ask you a reason for the hope that's within you so that they can also be like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. No wonder you've got this peace in your life, this love in your relationships and everything else, you know, that are benefits of being in Christ. And I mean, Mark, if they can sound forth things to the glory of God in that day and age in such a short period of time, the opportunities that we now have, if you think about podcasts, websites, blogs, social networking, self-publishing, all kinds of opportunities right now are out there. And you might say like, man, there's already so many people speaking so much of that now. You know what, though? They haven't heard your reason for the hope that's in you and your stories and what you've been able to accomplish through the strength that God supplies in who you used to be and who you are now and just your own story. There are people that would be so, so inspired if you found your way of giving an answer for the hope that lies within you. Yeah, that if you're a Christian, you've come out of the world, you have an amazing story to Mm -hmm. tell. Definitely. And you can't keep an amazing story from being told. Mm-hmm. That this just naturally got out. And the next verse kind of gives more of the details. For okay. they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And so Paul says, hey, people tell us, like, yeah. like here's what happened. Uh, yeah. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they show up in this town, and here are all these idol worshipers that have been, you know, worshiping idols from, like, youth, and it's deeply ingrained, and you just dropped it. Mm-hmm. That, that is, it's like you cold turkey this whole incredibly addictive generational, I guess would be the word that people use yes. to generational addictive sort of thing. You know, one of those things like, well, there's no way mm-hmm. you're going to ever get out of that because the whole culture, the whole society, all the unions, all the trades and all the families and everything's connected with idolatry. And you guys just drop it, dropped it like a hot potato. Mm-hmm. Now, we all serve something in life. <laughs> yeah. And many opt to serve self, I think, in our, I think that's who the idol is now, is self-worship, you know, believe in yourself. You hear that much more than trust God in our culture. But how blessed are the people whose God is the Lord, as Psalms one forty four fifteen mm-hmm. says. For he alone has the power and the loving kindness to bless that choice throughout all eternity. Yes, and this is this is just really amazing because idolatry or polytheism, it permeated government, religion, business, amusement, labor, oh, social clubs. Uh-huh. It was all built on polytheism. And there's you know, there's certain false ideas that like get ingrained at every level of society. Uh-huh. And these people like these people rejected the religion that had been handed down to them by their parents who worshipped idols and their grandparents and their relatives and 
they rejected what was endorsed and believed in that society. Yeah. And they rejected something that had been drilled into them since youth. And not only that, but idolatry, the lure of idolatry is that allowed you to do immoral things. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, that, that society uh, approved. You, you're going to commit fornication in order to do a, a good deed. Yeah. In order to worship God. Yeah. Yeah. And that these people just said, no, we're dropping that right now. That is so incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a challenge to us. You know, what have we been told by the people that raised us? I, I can tell you the woman who raised me said, do not be loyal to my conclusions. You, you know, read the word of God on your own. The evidence that God exists is beyond dispute the fulfilled prophecies and the pre-scientific foreknowledge of the scriptures speak for themselves. This is the word of God. Your salvation is up to you. You have got to be familiar with the word of God and prepare to meet him face to face by understanding it correctly for yourself, you know, with as little bias as possible and with the most objectivity as possible and be ready to give an account. Yes. And if they could do it, we can do it because we, we live in cultures that are saturated by, oh, it, it could be it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be pornography, pornography, etc. I mean, if the Thessalonians could break with a idle saturated culture, then people today can come out of the world and break from a selfish, self-focused, mm -hmm. excuse-making, mm -hmm. victimhood, pornographic, mm -hmm. on-and-on culture. As you were talking about how ingrained the idolatry was into the culture, it was really reminding me right now of people that feel like, uh, with the way that our culture is going, that they feel like their career could be in jeopardy, you know? Right. As companies look to unload the Christians on their staff. From time to time right now. I mean, it is a discrimination that is very much against even the Constitution and the it, Bill of Rights. I'm bringing that up just to say this, that the kind of faith that these Thessalonians had, they would have also been losing their source of income, right? Yeah, this would be something, I think a number of the unions. Yes. That is in order to be part of like the guild or the trade or the union, it was each one had their own God. Mm -hmm. And you're right. It's interesting, though, that all that collapsed. Oh, yeah. What? And what's still there is Christianity. Right. And a lot of these people didn't starve. There's other things you can do. Yes. There's another job. You can start your own business, etc. None of this stopped the spread of the gospel. Yeah. And so the things that companies today that are making part of their company that is antagonistic to God, uh, that is so short-sighted because that's going to, in the end, bring down that company, mm -hmm. is that the Christian's not temporary, the church is not temporary, earthly corporations are temporary. Yes, sir. So verse 10 says, and to wait for his son from heaven. So, <laughs> Mark, there's been people, even in our lifetime, that have been like, oh, let's sell everything, because we know exactly when this is going down. You know, I have figured it out. I've done the math. Here's the date that Jesus is coming back. And chapter four and five are really going to hit that hard. Like, nope, he's coming like a thief in the night. Yes. So, and the best way to be ready is not to know a date because no right. date is given. Amen. The best day to be ready is to continue to serve. Right. And to continue to be faithful. Mm -hmm. Keep but, your lamp lit. 
But it's interesting. They break from idolatry. They break to come and serve a living and true God, a real God. And wait doesn't mean sit around on your hand. Definitely. The, the waiting here is a very active sort of thing. That is, let God be your reward. Let Jesus come and vindicate you, whom he raised from the dead. And so that really happened. Mm-hmm. And he's coming back. And he's going to rescue us from the wrath to come. Because when Jesus comes back, he's not coming to die again on the cross. So he's not necessarily coming as a savior of the world. He's coming as the judge now. Mm -hmm. And if you're not saved and if you're not in him, then what you're going to face is not a second chance. Not only that, but I think the, the phrase wrath to come, God does not negotiate with evil. Mm, right, right. And really, any time throughout history where God's wrath was demonstrated, I'm thinking Noah, I'm thinking the children of Israel, when God judges evil, it rescues the innocent. And of course, this is the final judgment that's talking about here. And that is a rescue. That's a rescue from the wrath to come that he promises to those who love him. And John 5.21 says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point that in every judgment we find in Scripture, that all lead up to the final judgment. So, well, how do I know there's going to be a final judgment? Well, because there's been a lot of judgments before that. The flood, etc., destruction of Jerusalem, you name it. Babylon, the fall, the fall of Assyria. Mm-hmm. Those have all been judgments that... The final judgment is is the one they're all looking forward to. And in all of those, the wicked have been punished and the righteous have been rescued. Mm-hmm. Let's just live in a way that we can say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have everything to look forward to as lovers of God and faithful children of his. Sin ruins everything. Yes. And God's virtue is the answer. Mark, Bella at this point is sliding across the floor. She does this when she thinks we have gone long enough without paying her any attention. Right. I And probably I need to then wrap it up and she needs to sit on me for a while <laughs> yeah she needs to connect with her daddy because yeah she's running full speed putting on the brakes and sliding across the floor well there she goes there she goes all right so we will look forward to talking about the second chapter of first thessalonians in our next scripture hike we'll see you then